Welcome to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at DTCPod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. As a D2C brand, you need real-time financial visibility to save money and make better decisions. Waiting for books from slow and expensive bookkeepers that don't get e-commerce is slowing you down. Trusted by hundreds of brands, Finaloop is a real-time accounting service built by D2C founders for D2C founders. Try Finaloop completely free, no credit card required. Just visit finaloop.com slash D2C pod and get 14 days free and a two-month P&L within 24 hours with all the e-com data and breakdowns you need to crush it. What's up, DTC pod? Today, we've got Dylan Mentor on, who is the founder and CEO of Bear Balance. So... Dylan, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what you guys are building at Bear Balance? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, thanks for having me. And uh, hello, audience. My name, like uh, like it was just just after mentioned, is uh, Dylan Mentor. I'm the founder and CEO of Bear Balance. We are the creators of the world's first creatine gummy. Now, I know a lot of uh, a lot of ladies and gents out there. Uh, it's probably a, probably a good split 50-50 between those of you who know what creatine is and those of you that don't. So just a quick... Uh, quick look through my lens and the PhDs in the space, we refer to it as a super supplement. So exercise performance, uh, nootropic benefits, cognition, and overall brain health, uh, as well as a extremely wide spectrum of general health benefits that uh, for the sake of the length of the podcast, I won't mention here today. But we've been in business for about three years now. Uh, a year, the first year spent doing R&D, this was a very tough product to bring to market. But now we're able to share it with the fitness, the wellness, and health enthusiasts all over the world. Uh, being the first in the space, you know, creating the category, it wasn't it wasn't easy. But we're happy to be here. No, so I'm I'm excited. I think we're gonna have a lot to talk about on this episode. Um, a couple things that come to mind. One, I know you guys had started out and you bootstrapped the whole thing yourself. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the. Um, origin of the brand, what went into R&D, and then maybe we can talk about the industry you're in, specifically supplements and um, how you see the market evolving. So why don't we just start with the uh, the origin story? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background first, and then let's get into, um, yeah, so like what were you doing before you started Bear Balanced? Yeah, so I, I obviously haven't, I didn't go to school for making gummies. I didn't grow up watching too much Gordon Ramsay. Um, the confectionery trade, all, all I knew about it is, and that's where candy comes from. I actually happen to be wearing one of my old work shirts today. Uh, this is a SpaceX t-shirt for those. If, I don't know if this is going to be a you know video that you guys can see, but I am indeed wearing a shirt that I've built probably t- a couple dozen rockets in, um, you know, over the course of three years leading up to the if, in, in, yeah inevitable leave from SpaceX to do bare balance full time. But I was building rockets, uh, hands-on the actual rocket, um, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. They 10 to 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week. It's a pretty fun operation they have there. It's very demanding, both physically and mentally. Um, 
the, you know, I, I was actually taking creatine the entire time I was working there. And it, it actually helped me sort of with those longer days, both, you know, when the coffee stopped kicking in and when your body gets tired, you know, things like creatine, um, you know, I'd been taking it for 15 years. And that, that was a, that was a pivotal time for me because when I was making rockets or building rockets, I actually started making creatine uh, gummies in the kitchen. And this was sort of just uh, as a way to cater to the friends of mine that I worked out with from work as well as myself. I know a lot of them had, uh, you know, they had made it audible, you know, when we would go take our pre-workout and things like creatine prior to, you know, working out after work that they hated it. They hated creatine. They, they loved taking it, but hated the residual powder left over. They mentioned that, you know, they're wasting money. It's, it's gritty. It sticks onto your teeth. They, so they have creatine on their teeth when they're working out. Uh, for some reason, there hadn't been any creatines that were popularized with uh, flavor additives or sort of those things that could just make the experience overall more pleasant. So that's where we came in. Uh, it was just me and one friend in particular who really uh, pushed the gummy idea. And his girlfriend was actually the first one to mention it. And it was kind of just like a snide comment. Um, you know, if you guys don't like it that much, why don't you just why don't you just take the gummy bears? I'm sure there's a gummy. And, you know, at the time when she initially said it, we, uh, you know, we didn't really look at each other and have this light bulb explode over our heads. It was sort of just like, yeah, why, why don't we take the gummies? <laughs> um, but, you know, lo and behold, we did some research. Um, I, I primarily uh, d did a lot of digging. The two of us were, were super interested with it at first. Um, the, this friend of mine was more of a, a gym rat work friend that d didn't want to get into building a business and creating this, uh, you know, this creatine gummy, this confectionery kitchen project. But uh, this was something that I, I realized was, you know, it, this, this was going to be really cool. Um, you know, I have a, an engineering degree. A lot of chemistry goes into just like the, the prerequisites in order to get that associates. And I've always, always loved that stuff. So I took it upon myself to get into the kitchen and start figuring it out. Yeah, and I, I love that because a lot of times they say it doesn't take a rocket scientist to build a CPG brand, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but sometimes it does. So um, <laughs> as soon as you guys kind of identified a problem and you realized that, hey, maybe there's something here, what were the next steps in actually productizing um, Bear Balance, right? So you've got, you've got an idea of a form factor you want to go after. You've got uh, the concept behind it, maybe some ingredients that you're going to go into your mixture. But like, now let's talk about that step of actually starting a brand. Who's the first phone call? Are you looking for manufacturers? Are you looking yeah. for product? Like, how, are you, how do you turn that idea into your brand? What were your steps? Yeah, so uh, definitely a stubborn entrepreneur at heart. Wanted to, never wanted to take on any sort of initial investing or partners that wanted a stake in the business. And so going into it, I knew that whatever is going to be done in these earlier on product development stages, it's going to be all me. I need to figure this out. I need to understand how it works. So the first thing I started doing, and I don't know how uh, how this correlates to other founders that want to bring an awesome product to the space or to any category, but I started looking at patents and I started looking at gummy formulas um, because I knew that you know there wasn't any there wasn't a brand out there that was already doing this, so it wasn't going to be something that I could iterate on and make better. This was going to be something I more or less had to create from scratch and. I know if you guys think back to, you know, 2000 and um, 2019, right around there, 2020, you know, the, a big thing that had really 
normalized itself in the confectionery trade and in sort of an active ingredient market is CBD and THC products. Uh, gummies, particularly, they just they took off. I know there's a ton of other um, you know edible like substances out there. I personally don't suffer or take any of that stuff, um, so I don't know the the wide range. But I know that you know chocolate gummies those are very commonly uh, commonly dosed. So the first thing I did was I started reading the patents, realized that there wasn't going to be anyone, uh, you know, business development wise that I could reach out to and sort of ask for, you know, some, some way to get traction in the kitchen R and D wise. So I did the next best thing. And I, instead of a, instead of the actual manufacturers where people that make gummies today go and reach out to, I reached out to the food scientists that are employed by those manufacturers. So I was able to circumvent any sort of financial obligation in obtaining information as long as these guys, uh, you know, were willing to work with me. And a lot of them, uh, you know, announced to me, I didn't know how well this would work. Uh, they were just more on board to do it. And they were enticed to sort of join in on all the fun because they thought that the project was cool. They thought that, you know, bringing a creatine gummy to market, something no one's done before, they didn't they didn't want anything other than to just actually participate in the process. So we got the Willy Wonkas of the world. <laughs> We've got the food scientists that work at some pretty major confectionery companies that I'm pretty sure don't want their name uh, leaked during this episode. And we've also just got the THC and CBD edible chemists that I reached out to as well. And uh, for anyone listening, thinking, you know, how the heck did you get in touch with all these people? Um, you know, they've got nine to fives. They're busy. This is during COVID. The world is a mess. It was LinkedIn. I literally reached out to as many people as I could find through LinkedIn. And I got a handful of those um, that answered. And then, you know, of, of those like seven or eight that answered, about four or five, five of them actually, you know, spent the next year with me making this product. You know, my, my next question is about how, like, you, you talked a little bit about patents, right? Um, and I think this is a really interesting area in the supplements and in the food space, right? What do patents mean? What's enforceable in the supplement space? What isn't? What are you guys patenting? Like, just walk me through a little bit about that entire landscape within um, CPG, but specifically within supplements, right? Because I think a lot of things make a lot of claims and you've got pharmaceutical companies on one side that have like, I mean, that's how they make their money is through patents, but supplements are more of like kind of a gray area where you can make claims and maybe do some. So if you could just give us some light on like how patents play a role in, in this space. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that anyone that's going to do anything proprietary and they're, when I say proprietary, I don't mean they're going to have an active ingredient, uh, you know, formula that they don't disclose. And a lot of people, they use proprietary information or that, you know, what the FDA considers a proprietary guideline to sort of hide what's actually in their product. Uh, we didn't do that. And moving forward, I'm going to use the term proprietary not in a not in the sense where it uh, just you know prevents the consumer from knowing what's inside of it. Proprietary has a has another meaning to it, and it's just a specific uh, you know formula dosage and uh, any anything that's can, you know part of that uh, that ingredient profile that's exclusive to your product. Not not something that you're necessarily trying to hide. So the proprietary information as it pertains to dietary supplements or really anything along that you know sports nutrition, functional food sustainable supplement lines, anything in that area, which could be drinks, gummies, different foods. Um, you've just, you've got to patent, you've got to make claims. 
on things that are one, um, you know, hyper specific to the formula that you're using. And when you when you start there, um, make sure you can get that bit of information patent first, because a lot of people they're going to want to broaden that sort of protection from uh, not only from that specific formula, but to the let's say the manufacturing or the production of you know variants of that formula. So I'm going to try to water this down and make it as easy to digest as humanly possible. Um, and I'll and I'll do it uh, with let's say with I'll just use my gummy for example. So we went in. We there was no proprietary information or claims on this before we uh, we went and filed. So we were definitely going to be able to file for our you know blueberry flavor, our spirulina color. No one's using this. It's not it's not something found in nature. It's very specific to what we were putting in our packaging. So with, without a doubt, we could get that pushed across an examiner's desk rather easily. The next thing you want to do, um, you know, is make sure that if you're going to file any sort of broader sort of claims um, or increase the protection of your product at the end of the day, that you're you're looking at all of the research or all of the patents possible by going on the USPTO, using the search, en search engine, use those high-level keywords that are obviously going to give you way too broad of a net at first, but you're going to have to start super, super wide with that scientific approach almost before you before you really narrow it down to things that might impede on what you're trying to do. But the supplement space, I mean, let's let's face it, there's a million different protein powders. There's a million different, um, you know, electrolyte drinks out there, powders. Those are the, the, the possibility of claiming any sort of broader protection and preventing anyone else from sort of treading on your proprietary um, formula is very, very low. You're really, at this day and age, there's almost nothing that hasn't been um, touched on or tapped into to some degree. And a lot of these, a lot of these patents, um, you know, they're filed with companies or law firms, yeah, law firms and patent lawyers that they're going to make sure that, you know, these bigger companies like Goalie, for instance, I mean, they, they had a patent earlier on on the ACV gummy that prevented a ton of competitors from coming in the space. And that's really how they were able to gain that lead way into the market and capitalize on it earlier on. But even those patent lawyers, they left holes in the patent. And now you see, you know, Goalie's gummies at Whole Foods next to four other apple cider vinegar gummies. They're all priced lower. I think Goalie's, um, you know, they're, they're definitely a household name at this point, especially in the ACV space. Anyone that's concerned with, you know, immunity or just the general health benefits that come along with it or don't like taking the apple cider vinegar shots. But even those patents, um, you know, the people that assisted them with those patents, even they left room for, for iteration or they left those loopholes that other companies were able to get in and, and capitalize on. So just make sure that you can, one, patent your very hyper-specific formula down to the T and then, then broaden the research um, and make sure that you can prevent the general manufacturing of whatever product or category it is that you're trying to either create or join because you are going to, there's a lot of, a lot of barbed wire trying to climb that fence. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. Like the, so let's, let's assume you're on the other side, right? Like let's assume you're coming up with your own idea. I think what you were saying is it's, it can be tricky to navigate, right? So if you're trying to come up with your own thing, how do you know what is okay to pursue or not okay to pursue because as an entrepreneur just starting out you might be like 
I see a pattern here. I see a pattern here. But like kind of what you're saying, there's a million different like powders for protein. And like it's so I'm just trying to kind of understand if you're starting out and you start seeing things where there's like, yes, there's obviously like patents about the general things that you're doing in a supplement. Like they could be as broad as like, oh, like putting a certain two powders together in a capsule. You know what I yeah. mean? So like, how do you like navigate that if you're an entrepreneur trying to launch a business? Um, what what flies and what doesn't fly in the supplement space? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it, it really just, it boils itself down. It boils itself down to, um, you know, looking, looking at the market. Look at your market. Is your market, um, you know, is it oversaturated? If your market's oversaturated, if you want to get into something like, um, you know, like liquid IV or hydrant, you know, those guys, they have electrolyte powder solutions. If you're, if you're looking at a, if you're looking at a market like that, you should just know off the bat. Generalizing any sort of um, IP is going to be nearly impossible. More more than likely, you're just not going to be able to do it at this point, especially when the the market caps of those um, you know those industries are you know 500 million, a billion dollars. Like if I wanted to go and do this with a collagen product, the collagen market is a billion dollar industry at this point, um, and it's going to take three years for your patent to get approved. There's just no way someone hasn't already put in the, you know, the elbow or the, the sweat equity, done the done the hard work and and beat everyone else to it. Not to say that there isn't room to iterate because this is this is part two really of me answering the question. So that's that's one way to just save a ton of time. Look at the market. Is it oversaturated? Don't even bother with it. Two, let's say it is oversaturated, like the same exact market we just covered, you know, the the hydration powders. So if you want to do something in that space and you want to do something new and innovative, let's make sure that it's that it's new and innovative. And to do that, you're going to have to, one, start with those, those patent searches on USPTO, find the patents for the products that are dominating the space. So you could literally go in, search hydrant, search electrolyte, uh, and maybe even use the word powder. You just, you add all those three in your search query, you're going to find the actual patents for those products. Now, you want to make something different and you do as a someone that uh, an entrepreneur or a business owner that wants to actually win in a market that's oversaturated you're not going to want to you know eat off the same pizza that has already had all the pies put or pieces of the pie you know on everyone else's plate you're going to have to go and make your own so when you're trying to make your own pizza and there's already a, a market like the hydrants and liquid iv dominate you're going to have to do something incredibly different which could be flavors you could be adding um you could be adding novelty flavors, you could be adding an active ingredient blend that differentiates it from the rest of the products in the space, at least according to the patents. But when you look at the patents and you're thinking what flavors and active ingredients am I going to add to make this a novelty product, you just have to make sure that in hydrants and liquid IVs uh, product in the patent, it doesn't say that they're not able to add those at some point in time as well, because they're going to go as broad as they can on protection. So look, find the companies these companies, the bigger the companies that are killing the markets, are the category killers. They're go they're going to be the ones with the patents. They're going to be the ones with the broadest protection on the patents. You really want to start there. You should be you should be close to close to safe. Um, if you can find active ingredients or flavors or anything else you can think of to differentiate your product that is not in those bigger companies' patents, take that information to a patent lawyer and have them do the minute you know, the dotted I's, the cross T's, all of that, all of the things under the magnifying glass that you might overlook. 
know, I think that's that's super helpful because I know there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who are thinking about like supplements and health and wellness. It's the hot topic, but then again, they're coming in it from the product side and maybe not necessarily the you know the patent side. And all of a sudden, you start thinking about patents and you're like, oh my god, like what am, what am I going to do? So that's <laughs> that's super helpful. So okay, so now that we've got like the patent stuff figured out. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about next steps in terms of actually launching um, and manu manufacturing your product, starting, like what are the next steps for you in terms of t taking this to market? Yeah, so not that the, you know, the research side of things, it can take as long as you want it to. And if you want a perfect product, I mean, chances are you're never going to get a perfect product, right? But you can get pretty close to it with it, with, with the research alone. It's going to take the actual R&D to sort of figure it out, especially if you're working on something novelty, like a, the creatine gummy was at the time, there was no formula. There's no base formula. All you know is the general chemistry. Um, all I all I was able to find was the general chemistry, the people that knew the chemistry a little better than I did. Um, and you're sort of that interstitial, you know, that, that pinpoint between the allotted information and the experts available. So you've really got to be the one that just stitches everything together. So what that meant for me was, Going on Amazon, buying a ton of you know gummy making material, whether it have been the sugar, the molds, um, you know ketchup bottles that I would actually pour the you know the the ready to set uh, gummy slurry into and use that to fill the molds. I mean, it, it was as as pedestrian as you could possibly think of. It was just like the you know the the, the young mom and her you know six year old. That's exact. That was me. Minus the mom, you know, with the apron on in there, trying to just figure out how to make these pectin gummies. And I mean, there's there's a million ways. There's literally a million ways that you can make a gummy because there's just so many different natural ingredients out there. There's so many different types of gummies that you can make. You've got the all natural pectins. You've got the gelatin approach. And there are those that are harder than other and or others. And the more natural you go, the more difficult it gets. But Going into, you know, what I thought was going to be a business that would really thrive one day, I knew that we'd have to go as natural as humanly possible with the with the ingredient selection. So it was going to be as difficult as it could possibly be. So over the next year, really, it took an entire year. We made a ton of gummies over the, you know, that 365. And a lot of them just were not something that we would put out to market. And now when I see, you know, you do a quick Google search and you look at the the competitors that are selling right now in our space i recognize you know a lot of um the imperfect or imperfections that i was able to really see earlier on that a lot of these companies went to market with and it's uh, it's it's not easy getting the, the quality of product that we have i mean i know that if even the manufacturers that we spoke to there's been about a dozen um you know over the last year even since we you know post r d they they all want to know how to make it these are people, you know, trying to license the or trying to license the IP. It it took a very very long time to learn how to do this. But um, you know, with with the with the R and D, I think everyone's, you know, it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun, like getting in there, getting your hands dirty, and doing something that you're you're generally passionate about. And that's exactly what was going on. But you've got to think, you know, you can't just quit your job, or you you, you there is no like infinite amount of time you have to work on this before someone else does it. You've got to work fast. You've got to have the money, and you've got to make sure that you. This is something you're you're gonna be doing in ten years from now. If that's how long it takes for you to get your business to where it wants to be, or if even if you're trying to ultimately sell it, I wouldn't do anything 
for a day that I wasn't thinking about I could be doing, for, you know, in 10 years from now. So money was a huge thing too, because without the, you know, without still working at SpaceX during the time, there would have been no way to fund all of the, um, you know, redundant R&D mistakes that, you know, kept occurring. I think every, I've easily on the weekends, um, you know, nine hour days, just not getting any product um, or any sort of progress made during R&D. And this is with the help of the experts. And even they're itching their heads and scratching their chins and just wondering why things aren't going to plan. So unless you want to, you know, take, take an idea like this, that is super nascent to a, you know, VC fund, or maybe you've got some friends and family that you want to do an A round with, and, you know, you've got some angel investors in mind. Yeah. I, I highly doubt anyone's going to want to give you money to do something like that or something like I was doing at least. So keeping my job, you know, working after work, working the entire weekends for a year, that's really what it took to just get a product worth putting it in a bottle um, and, and ready for consumers. Yeah, I think that is such a good point because it takes a lot to bring a product to market, especially when you're doing it as kind of a side hustle, right? You've got your work, you've got your obligations, but it's like, how are you able to get something off the ground um, on the side? And one of the other things that I think is really interesting about like side hustle and being able to start something off is projects don't always, sometimes things take time, right? Like, especially in the CPG world, like it takes time to get your designs, get your formula just right, like do all these things. So like you are in a great position if you have a job, if you have an income, you know, not like you need to know when the right time is to jump ship basically, right? So so if you, if you have the luxury of having time where you're able to iterate and like do all the things in your spare time, like that's awesome because that's going to, that's, that stuff needs to happen in any case. So you may as well be able to do it and make that jump when, when you're able to, and the business can support. Yeah, don't quit your job just because you've got an idea. That's I probably the, I, cause I had people tell me earlier on, why don't you just quit your job? You've got, you, you have an nest egg, you've got money saved up. You can always go back to SpaceX. And, you know, the matter of the fact is I, I probably could go back and apply for a, the same job I had back then today, and I might actually get it. But that's not that's not the position. Uh, vulnerability, um, you know, when it comes to, one, being able to further the project along, because I would have ran out of money at some point, um, or, or and B, just like paying your bills. A lot of people, uh, they're not able to get knocked down, you know, 10 times and get up in 11. Uh, you know, for some people, that's just the unfortunate reality is that, you know, once you're, once you've risked it all and you've maxed out all the credit cards and, you know, your board game doesn't get you a shark to invest on ABC, you know, that's the end of the road. I, and I, I knew like, I just knew earlier on that I didn't want to put myself in a position where there was any probability or, or possibility that I was going to be, you know, in a, in a state of insecurity uh, and, you know, financially, I, you have the fiduciary responsibility to yourself to make sure that, your life is in order when you're conducting a side hustle that takes this the amount of uh, time, energy, and financial backing to to complete successfully. No, totally. And the next thing I want to talk about is so talk to me a little bit about now that you've like made the product. I want to. I'm I'm curious about your first couple like batches or runs or production runs. Like how much volume were you doing once you? kind of brought your team together you know how much money were you putting in it to get through a production run what were you doing who are you testing these different gummies with yeah talk to me a little bit about that 
So it, we started off as about uh, as, as bare bones as you could possibly be. And it, it was a test kitchen that turned into a our, our production kitchen. And we, we, as in me, I was the, as soon as I figured out how to make these gummies the right way, I knew that training a team up would be nearly impossible. So I, I just basically scaled the, uh, you know, the, the solo cook um, method as high as you possibly could. And I know teams of three that work at manufacturing facilities nowadays that do maybe one-tenth of what I was doing in a day at some point. But it really just, it was at the aid of, um, you know, I made some good friends in the space doing the R&D. And there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of trade secrets out there and there's hacks in the gummy industry. And I can guarantee you that there's nobody selling gummies right now, at least from a brand owner's perspective, that can actually make them. Not that, you know, not more than a single 35 cavity mold at a time. Um, so earlier on, we were doing, I was pouring around 150 bottles a day. What's that times? 150 times 60. So I was pouring about nine, yeah, 9,000 gummies a day earlier on. And uh, this this is very physical, uh, physically <laughs> exhausting work. It's mentally exhausting too, because it's, you're actually, you're, it's one big chemistry project every time you cook. You've got to make sure the pH is correct. There's a lot of varying factors working with natural products that can just just destroy your cook in an instant if you're not careful. There's I blew a ton of um, you know outlets. I, I caused our apartment complex to lose power in certain areas of it at some points. Uh, you know it's it's just a matter of uh, really having all of you know it's the perfect storm. So those nine thousand gummies, you know, doing that and it, it would take about twelve hours of work, and that's like with like your your sandwich and Doritos in one hand. And you're, you know, you're working a, a spatula with the other. Eventually, that turned into the, what you might see in a chemistry class, or like a, the electric stirrers, things that are uh, used in lab, you know, as lab equipment. So it did get to that point, but we were not really able to get past that 150 bottle a day point without either renting out a bigger space, or what we eventually did, you know, is reach out to manufacturers, and that and that went on for about a year. So 150 bottles a day for a year. And we, looking back, we bottlenecked the heck out of this business doing that. Um, granted, we didn't have, you know, if you if you want a production run for something like our gummy, six figures. We didn't have six figures back then to, you know, and we didn't want to take on funding either. So you've really got to, you've got to pick your battles. Looking back, it's, it's like we did the 150 bottles a day. Should we have taken on funding? Should we have just paid back a loan? Should we have got some business credit cards and maxed them out and put a down payment on some product? The answer is no. It's it's really not because even working with manufacturing now, there's so many um, there's so much inconsistency in product. I'm I'm happy that we were able to get our first you know ten twenty uh, thirty thousand customers you know just working out of the kitchen because they got the best product. We I think that's the best product we ever put out. Yeah, and that's awesome, right? Like thinking about how to go from zero to one to two and like scaling up, I think is really important because a lot of founders, um, you, they might see, oh, I'm either at zero or I have to get a manufacturing facility to put together the whole run for me. And like, what's the in between there, especially when like what you're saying is that can be very expensive. So um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about when you guys decide, needed to make that jump, right? Eventually demand is growing, you guys are scaling and you need to make the jump. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about 
what that was like? How did you find your manufacturing partner? How did you vet them? Um, how did you make sure everything was going to be right? Because like you were saying, if, if you get one production run and they mess it up, you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do with all this inventory that I literally just spent all my money? Yeah. So disclaimer, you know, this is, this is something we learned the hard way, but before you even start interviewing manufacturers and I mean, this is, you know, before you guys, when you start interviewing to the time where you actually have something made or are indeed, you know, there's going to be a lot of time in between there even, but before all of that, make sure you've got a contract that has what I like to refer to as stop losses in place because any manufacturer you talk to is going to tell you they can make the product you want. And at the end of the day, it's just simply not the case. Um, not that they're you know bad businessmen all the time, but more often than not, they are just willing to take on the project and try to figure it out. And this is, you know, they're, they're going to do their best, um, but there are, there are those cases or there are those times when some some manufacturers they're just not there yet um, expertise wise and they're definitely not going to be uh, where you need them to be if you're at a different scale than them going into it there are such manufacturers that are working from po to po and if they mess up a po their business is done your project could be that one po you need to find you need to find a manufacturer that has been around for a while um you know is substantial enough in size to where they can get you in at, you know, sort of a, a, a phone calls notice on the production schedule, because you're going to need that kind of attention earlier on as a younger brand. You don't know what your scale is going to be like, but put those stop losses in place in your manufacturing contract, you know, that just state, if you guys can't make the product or the products overdue or late by X amount of days, you either A, owe us X amount of dollars every day it's overdue, or B, owe us a full refund plus the amount of money we would have lost or that we lost not being able to sell our product. Um, these were things that, you know, like I mentioned, I, I learned the hard way and thank God it wasn't the hardest way. You know, we, we're still, we're still functioning today. We're up and running, but you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't as uh it wasn't the glory story you might see in a movie where, you know, some entrepreneur goes out, finds a manufacturer and then they're a millionaire the next day, but in vetting them, you know, I can I can speak to the difficulties that I've had. I'm also familiar with, and you guys are probably too listening. Midday Squares, um, they interviewed I think almost every confectionery manufacturer in the company, or excuse me, in the country to make their chocolate. And what they ended up doing is a little thing I like to call vertically integrating. Um, that that just means that they went and they built their own manufacturing facility, and I'm sure it choked the heck out of their production. If you look at their uh, their retail map right now, though, they're in just about every natural grocer in the country and some. They're doing phenomenal, and they're breaking, um, you know, they're breaking their daily production records like quite often nowadays. So, you know, just make sure that the the manufacturers you're going out there and looking for a can make make the product to your standards because there's a lot of companies out there or Chinese manufacturers like on Alibaba that are going to say, hey, we've got these chocolate bars or these creatine gummies, and when you get them. You know, they might say that on the label, but the, the, the inside of those products, it's full of tears, full of children's tears and, you know, uh, refunds. That's exactly what you're going to get when you buy that kind of stuff. But what we were able to do, thank God, um, is we were able to find some uh, reliable manufacturers and we defined them as reliable because we found out they had products that were already in retailers that we wanted to get into. So manufacturers that already had products in, you know, Whole Foods or Sprouts, you're, you want to find your product, um, you know, where does it live on the shelf and then reverse engineer that, you know, shelf placement to the manufacturer. 
try to piece that together, whatever you have to do. It's going to be difficult. You probably have to go on LinkedIn and you might run into a lot of dead ends, but at some point you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to align the stars and you're going to find the manufacturers that are doing that type of work. And then it's your job to get the price or the price of your product to where your margins make sense. Because we had, we had a huge, you know, 30%, 40%. Our first manufacturer quoted us $15, um, you know, finished product. And that's because we were working with a broker um, and, and a whole a whole ton of other things. You know, I think they were trying to take advantage of, of us as early on um, as, a, as a younger brand with, with no experience. And they nearly did. I mean, we ended up getting our, we've got the pricing down substantially, just building genuine relationships with the manufacturers we work with now and being able to sort of leverage the pricing that we've uh, found out truly exists in our market. So you're going to, I'm not saying pin market or pin your manufacturers against each other or sort of fabricate some sort of back and forth, you know, trying to weasel the price down, but you are going to want to know, you know, a vast majority of manufacturers uh, price and try to try to do whatever, whatever you can ask them, you know, how do we get this down five cents? How do we get this down a dollar? Is there, are there alternative ingredients? So we vetted them, you know, to, to make this long, to summarize that long-winded answer, we found the manufacturers that were already making products in the retailers that we wanted. And then from there, we were able to niche it down even tighter uh, based on who was able to sort of give us the ingredients that we wanted or improve on the product at the, the most cost-effective solution. You know, I think that's that's super good insight in terms of working with manufacturers because they're not, again, they don't always have your best interests in mind. Um, they're not thinking, no one's going to care about your business as much as you do. So I think that um, just using that as a framework to work with them is super important. The other question that I had in regards to kind of what you were talking about is let's talk about the demand side of things as you guys were first getting started, right? Like what was the reception to the product? How did things grow? Talk to me about like the customer experience with not only like you were saying your initial production runs that you guys were handling yourself, but then as you transition to like, how was the, again, you, you guys mentioned you're bringing a new product to market. How are you doing the communication and the messaging and the marketing and the growth behind all of that? Yeah. So, I mean, night and day between launching our product when we were cooking it versus the manufacturer and it's, it's going to be that way. I mean, there's just, I, I don't think there's any manufacturer that can replicate your product at a hundred percent when you've got over X amount of ingredients in them. And it's an, and it, especially if it's natural. And that was definitely the case for us. Um, you know, the, the market initially, when we launched, we didn't have some huge budget. We didn't have, uh, you know, we didn't seed our product to a thousand influencers. We simply didn't have, um, you know, we, we couldn't justify a lot of the, the rationale behind what other brands do that have the funding, have the backing, have, this infinite amount of product, what they're able to do. So we simply, we knew we weren't going to be able to, you know, scale meta off the bat. So we did the next best thing. And we, I personally did the next best thing. And I became extremely proficient with Google ads. You know, I actually went as far as um, basically getting a couple of Google ad coaches and having these guys basically train me up. And they more or less worked alongside me for free, um, you know, helping us grow the you know, strengthening our, our account and just doing all of the ninja stuff that you hire an agency to do, they helped us out for maybe a year. And this this was a very small fee we incurred. I don't, I'm, I think that we were just at the right place at the right, or I was at the right place at the right time when these guys sort of wanted to, one, mentor somebody and two, possibly use me as a case study, which they didn't end up doing. And I'm, 
I'm almost, I almost feel like I cheated the system or I feel bad in that regard because these guys really, they, it was transformative what they helped us do. And, you know, even if you're on Twitter all day and you're going on these, um, you know, these known marketers, uh, you know, go on their Twitters, you can search in their search engines, just about anything you need in turn, you know, as long as you know, the keywords, like if you want to search, you know, cost caps, or you want to search, you know, um, highest volume or, you know, what they're, what, what it is you need to do inside of your ad accounts that's going to really, you know, just make it an indestructible force. You can do that. Um, but this is just something that we lucked out on. And the, you know, we were the only product for a year. So people were it was arms wide open, really. I mean, I don't think we ever, we never got anyone really leaving a review that, or a bad review saying, you know, I, the other, th there's got to be a better way to do this or, you know, this, this just isn't quite there yet product wise, you know, we spent, we spent a long time and I think anyone would be like the OCD perfectionist sort of, um, you know, mind state, which I know a lot of entrepreneurs have, you know, we, I, I made sure that the, the product was not going to get returned earlier on. And, you know, it was, it, not only was it aesthetically pleasing, it was experiential, you know, devouring these little bears. Um, you know, we, we really put something out there that we were proud of and it reflected in the the lack of refunds. We, I, I could, for the longest time, I could count on one hand how many people re returned our product. And I think it was like, it took, it took maybe nine months before we, we saw that like a, we, we saw over five refunds. And I, I don't know if it's because we're the only product in the space and where else are you going to go? Or are you going to make them yourself? Um, but we were also, we were extremely underpriced back then too. So I know that, you know, there were people looking at other creatine products before the category really took off during COVID because creatine prices like doubled during that time and we kept our product at the same the same price point so that we had that working for us but people loved it they absolutely loved it it was different with manufacturing though because the first product we got back from our first manufacturer it just wasn't up to, to quality the um the r&d was beautiful and the gummies that came out of the uh you know the, the gummy machines that they use they were just it was a sad day it was a sad day in the bare balance, you know, household when, when those got delivered and they were in our, our new packaging and it, it was, we just knew it was something that was not going to thrive in the markets. And you know, we sent some of it out to our more loyal customers to, to give a, you know, a taste test and sort of give some real feedback on. And they said the same exact thing. They're just like, this isn't where it was. And some people even said, you know, you guys, you guys really shouldn't even sell this. So that's exactly, that's exactly what we took into consideration. And we actually went out looking for more manufacturers that could do a better job. And, you know, it just, it goes back to saying, you, you've got to find, you've got to vet the correct manufacturers and you can't, you can't get knocked down too many times. You know, a lot of companies, I've, I've seen numerous people on Shark Tank that invested hundreds of thousands in R&D and never got the product they needed, or they, or they were $300,000 in the hole and that's why they're on Shark Tank. You just, you don't want to be that company. So, um, but now we've got a product that it, it absolutely kills. I mean, when, when I, I have not got one negative response um, ever on any platform, you know, comment wise on Facebook, there might be, I've, I've seen some competitors out there that get our ads and they'll say, oh, it tastes awful. And then I'm like, hey, I recognize that name. They own that company. But I mean, other than, other than those salty competitors, we don't have zero negative feedback on the product, and I'm super proud of it today. That's amazing. Um, uh, so as we kind of wrap up here, two questions. One, what is your guys' core focus of this year, right? Like, what do you have to get done at the, 
rest like as you think about building through the rest of 2023 is it uh, are there any big upgrades coming are you launching new products are you focused on optimization are you focused on scaling like where is your core focus and then um yeah that's that's my last question yeah so 2023 um you know we've got about half the year left i just came from the commerce summit in new york uh yesterday i got to spend a lot of time with some of the you know the biggest brands um across all industries and spaces um you know, they forget his name. The um, it was a True Classic Tees founder was there with uh, the co-founder from Mary Ruth Organics, and you know, I was at the table with Big Ron from Ob- from Obby, the CEO, and just listening to what these guys have done and realizing that our playbook doesn't quite it doesn't it doesn't quite mirror the same trajectory that they had. It's re- really just um, it's made me think about the cool stuff that we're doing in terms of working on more novelty stuff and more products, and just realizing that. We, we, the focus, the core focus from here on out, you know, the product launches are, are important. Um, you know, scaling the ad platforms, that's super important. Those are all things that are going to move the needle substantially, but having more evangelists for the brand, I want to, I think it's, it's our goal now to bring as many, um, you know, professional athletes, uh, people that are real thought leaders in the, 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 the realm of, you know, health and wellness, um, you know, as well as fitness, bringing, sharing what we have with those people and getting more people to, to sort of join in on the journey. I think is ultimately that's not only what builds a better business, it just, it builds a better brand. And being that the, you know, the, the world-class brand that we want to be, we need to bring in those world-class people. So everyone listening, expect to see Someone you know in some in some vertical of you know sports health and wellness, they're going to be taking our product at some point this year, and I'm going to make sure to it. Well, Dylan, uh, we loved having you on the show. I mean, that was an absolute crash course in building a um, a fast growing supplements brand. We're really excited for, to watch you guys grow. Why don't you shout out? Um, where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Are you on Insta or on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter? Where can we find more about Bear Balance? Yeah, just shout out your socials. Yeah, absolutely, guys. I'm on LinkedIn, Dylan Mentor. I mean, everywhere else, I, I'm pretty much off of social media. I'm not anonymous. I'm just not even, I don't even use the apps. So I'm on LinkedIn, you know, the Dylan Mentor, you can find me there. I'm, I'm more, than happy, more than happy to, you know, engage any sort of dialogue you guys want to start. Or if you've got questions, you want a blog post done about something, you know, creatine related, I'm happy to do the the research and get something out. Um, other than that, Bear Balance, at Bear Balance on every every platform. Um, Instagram's really our go-to. We're going to be campaigning on there a lot throughout the rest of this year. So it's, it's probably where you're going to see the majority of, uh, you know, content distribution, but our YouTube shorts will be, you know, right on par with the, the reels that are released. Sweet. Well, thanks for coming on the show and we can't wait to, to see you guys keep growing. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Blaine. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.